from Paul's letter to the Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, so that we might receive adoption as children. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, and Merry Christmas. I hope you all were also able to make some uh, wonderful memories with your families this Christmas. For us, this was the first time they got on their pedal bikes, and uh, I got to run behind them and hold their seats as they, you know, made their way around the neighborhood. You know, it's such a wonderful thing to come together as families this Christmas. I know some people have made some really difficult journeys. I've seen uh, airports on Christmas Day, and that is no picnic. But the reason we come together, obviously, is to share some of this warmth and generosity, uh, to come together as families and to celebrate our role in those families. And it's this image of warmth and generosity that's reflected in God's invitation to us. You might have noticed in both of our texts, there's this idea that we became God's children, that we were adopted as sons. And this isn't just a feel-good claim. I know that there's a lot of Hallmark going around at this time of year, a lot of sentimentality, which is fine. It's been out in my house. But there's a great deal more to, to being adopted as children of God, uh, more, more so than this sentimental, this sentimental feeling. I mean, hopefully there is this idea of belonging. Hopefully we do, we do receive this idea of acceptance and, and warmth. But there's also this family legacy that we all have to celebrate or contend with. It matters for us when you're part of a family who your parents were, what they were about. How have their traits and their jobs been passed down through the line? And even in a disconnected age, there can be this shared sense of mission and purpose within families. Often it's our families who gave us our deepest sense of identity and that defined our purpose and shaped us in ways that we still are discovering. And so given all of that, this enormous idea of what it is to be a family, let's get back to this idea that we have been adopted into the family of God. It's not a trite idea, there's weight to that claim, to be members of the household of God. We're going to look at this through kind of the lens of three questions. How did we come by this adoption? What does it even mean to be adopted by God? And, and how do we experience it? And so, this might surprise you, but we've got three points for today. Uh, our three points for today are the desire of our adoption by the Father, the status of our adoption in the Son, and the experience of our adoption through the Holy Spirit. Right? Desire by the Father, status in the Son, and experience through the Holy Spirit. And so let's look at this, this idea of the desire of our adoption by the Father. You know, this surprises people, and I know that because I was, I was in a class where, where a lot of people were shocked by this idea. But the reality is, before Christ came, we were not children of God. You see, we were his creations, but we weren't children. Uh, St. Paul in Acts 17, he refers to non-believers as God's offspring, but the sense in which he uses it is the term, uh, much as we would say that Thomas Edison is the father of the light bulb, right? Or who was the, the telephone guy? Alexander Graham Bell, right? The father of the telephone. You know, like, like they were his creations, right? But they didn't, they didn't have that familial relationship that we have attained through Christ. You see, we are God's creations, but because of our rebellion and hostility, there could be no intimacy and no real relationship. We see this kind of spelled out uh, all throughout Scripture that there's this barrier between us and God. You know, we heard that the light had come into the world, right? Well, well light and darkness can't coexist without darkness being obliterated. Turn on a light in a dark room, and what happens? Is there just kind of this mix and mingling of the two? No. 
Darkness is obliterated. It's gone. They can't coexist. And because our nature is so wrought with darkness, not only was it impossible for us to live in God's presence, but we were just the sort of people to destroy each other and ourselves. And so what was God to do? What would you do? Now, if we go back to our passage from Galatians, Paul writes, Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came. You see, this idea of disciplinarian, this idea of being guarded under the law, uh, if you go back to ancient Greece and Rome, the way that wealthy uh, parents would kind of raise their kids is you give your kid to a nanny, right, until about the age of six, right, to kind of like, you know, to nurse them and, and to kind of, you know, wean them. And then at the age of six, they would be transferred to the to supervision of a, uh, a pedagogos. Now, now, this was a disciplinarian who was charged with their socialization and their preparation for adulthood. This was somebody whose job it was to turn them into citizens, to turn them into contributing members of society. And we've mentioned them before, but these weren't Mary Poppins, right? They didn't just, you know, have a song for everything and sugar and, you know, all these things, right? No spoonfuls of sugar with them. Think of a governess, a governess combined with a, a drill sergeant, right? What's that movie, Heavy Metal Jacket? Is that, like, like just, this, just like this drill sergeant that's just coming down, and they were known for pulling airs, whipping, caning, pinching, do whatever it took to protect their charges from themselves and to grow them up. And this is the word that Paul used to describe the law. It was given to us for our protection, but it was devoid of parental affection. Now, rules are better than nothing, right? But they are not a substitute for relationship. They can produce behavioral change, but they can't produce heart change. And the law did what all laws do when we can't measure up. It just kept condemning us. And worse, when we follow the law, we are able to cloak our wickedness under the guise of outward respectability, aren't we? As long as I behave a certain way publicly, it doesn't matter what's going on inside. That was some of the issue that Jesus had with the Pharisees and with others. Had the law been God's only solution, we'd still be sunk. But God was not content to leave us in this foster care. And he, in his perfect timing, as we saw in Scripture, he sent Jesus to be born into the world to make our adoption possible. God desired more from us. He desired to give more to us. He desired more with us than to leave us in that state. Which brings us to our second point, the status of our adoption in the Son. Let's look back at our passage. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. This was God's great plan of salvation that he'd laid for millennia, the saving us and making us his children. And when the day arrived, Jesus Christ, as we just celebrated last week, was born into the world, and the adoption process began in earnest. And here's some of the ways that, that, that Paul talks about this. Like, what, is it, what does it mean that we have the status of adoption? What does it mean to be brought into his family? Well, some of the things that, that St. Paul points out is he says, you know, by being born of a woman, God the Son took on humanity so that he could bear our burdens and by his death, destroy death, and open for us the way to eternal life, to paradise, to be with God. He opened that way for us. 
God wanted to become one of us to renew our human nature from its fallen condition under Adam, to elevate it so that we could be with God. God became man so that man might become God, St. Athanasius, right? By being born under the law, he could fulfill the requirements of the law perfectly, dying for our sins as a blameless, perfect sacrificial offering. You know, in the Old Testament, you look at the sacrifices that were given to God. It wasn't the, it wasn't the beat-up lambs. It wasn't the broken ones. It wasn't, you know, the ones that you didn't want, right? That was probably the issue with Cain's sacrifice. It was the, the, the spotless ones, the best that you have, the blameless given before God. And so Jesus fulfilled the law, becoming the blameless, perfect sacrifice for us so that we could become God's children. The Greek word for adoption that Paul uses here is Kriothesia. And by the way, I don't use Greek just to say like, look, I know some Greek. Um, the reason I'm doing it is because our, our context is so different than what they lived in back then that hopefully this kind of draws out some of the meaning for us. The way, the way that Paul is using this idea of adoption is another way of putting it is so that we might receive full rights as sons. We might receive full rights, the inheritance, what it means to stand up as a son of God. In ancient Greece and Rome, it was common practice for a wealthy man who didn't have an heir, they could adopt a son to inherit their estate. I mean, think about it. You know, your family has accumulated this wealth. You want to pass it on to somebody. And so you could adopt someone. And this adopted son had incredible privileges, right? All of his previous debts were paid off. They were able to receive a new identity. And in a very real sense, begin an entirely new life. I mean, think of pulling somebody into this type of family. Your debts are paid off, you get a new identity, a new name, a new social standing and bearing. His status was forever changed and it couldn't be taken from him. And here's what I mean by that. In the ancient world, you could, uh, say, sell off. You could um, put your family members into, uh, you know, to become bond servants, to become slaves, to pay off a debt. You could not do that with an adopted son. They were protected, right? Otherwise, why not just adopt a bunch and then send them out to do your work for you? So in the very same way, when we are adopted into the family of God, God is not going to remove us from his family. He's not going to disown us. So it is with us, so it is with you. The Father found you cooperating with his enemies found me cooperating with his enemies in rebellion and said, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. Come into my house. Share my life. Be part of my family and an heir to my fortune with all the rights and responsibilities that come from being a child of the king of the cosmos. And I want us to consider this because this status it's not just foreign to us. It's something that we live into. These are things that we possess, that we have. So, so just, I'm going to list a couple of these rights and responsibilities that come from being part of the family of God. There's many more. But think about what it means to actually be adopted into God's family. Think about some of your rights, right? We have access to God. That means that when we talk to Him, He listens. That's not small. We have acceptance. God knows all our sins and secrets. And he desires us anyway. That's not small. We have assurance. God won, right? And in his victory over sin, death, and the devil, his victory has become our victory. What does Scripture say about our power? If we resist the devil, he does what? He flees from us. God's victory has become ours. 
And on the opposite side of rights, there's always responsibilities, aren't there? Right? Our lives reflect on Him. Right? As children of God, as those who are known as His children, for better or worse, our lives impact how others see God. They just do, right? I mean, you know that when you've got your fish, um, fish decal on your car, or if I'm driving with my collar on, right? Like, I can't drive like a maniac. How does that reflect on the Lord? Not ideally, right? It's not ideal. I mean, there was a time when um, many of you know that I was actually raised in a non-denominational church, uh, a big one up in Orlando. And there, I still remember there was a time when uh, four out of my five uh, immediate family members were employed at the very same church, right? My dad or, or had, a, had a role there. My dad was an elder. My mom did youth ministry. One of my brothers was in the global missions department. My other brother worked in a cafe because, you know, churches need cafes. Um, sorry, it's a great church. Um, you know, I, I, I wasn't employed there, but I walked in. You're like, oh, you're a gritter. Like, that meant something, right? Like, oh, better be my best behavior, you know? Don't want to reflect poorly on the family. And so we have these responsibilities as a part of being adopted into Christ's family. And then the second one I'll mention again, there's many, but, but for the sake of time, his mission, Christ's mission of drawing others to himself has become our mission. You know, shared family mission might not translate as well into a modern culture where kids don't always follow their parents' footsteps in employment, right? Where we have, you know, individualism, mobility, abundance. But there was a time when you took on your parents' trade. What did a blacksmith's son become? I didn't dream of becoming an astronaut. He became a blacksmith. Part of being in God's family is carrying on the mission, the shared mission of God, and working for a mutual purpose. And though this is who we are in Christ, we don't always live into that reality, do we? I mean, there are times when, when we forget the full rights and responsibilities that we have in this special relationship with God. We forget how unique it is to have this relationship with God that is unheard of, that other religions don't have this. Historically, this wasn't a big part of how man related to the gods. We were either food for them or their servants, not their kids. They didn't love us as their sons and daughters. And so sometimes we forget this reality, and there are also times when we question our own sense of worth to our Heavenly Father. There are times when we don't live into this reality, when instead of coming to Christ's table with a great offering and gladness and a, a familial embrace, we shy away, we hide. We ignore God or dismiss Him, or, or we make a break in our relationship. We have a difficult time with the idea that the king of the cosmos would love us. You know, when I was working towards that um, a degree in mental health counseling that we were, we've spoken of, uh, when one of our courses we studied adolescents uh, who had been adopted, and it was, it, was a, it was a fascinating course, and I learned of an interesting, if somewhat painful, trend in adoption. And, and it goes like this. Typically, kids who are adopted from foster care when they are young achieve relative stability and good relationships with their adoptive parents while they're young. That is, until the preteen years. And there's a switch. And now, if you've raised preteens or teens, you know that some of this is going to happen anyway, right? But, but for adopted children, it is, it is, it is so exponentially more they become exponentially more sullen and withdrawn and rebellious and secretive even than other preteens. And the parents have no idea what happened, where their relationship went, because they thought things had gone well for years. They thought that this integration had come into their family and it was, everything was going so smoothly. This child was just like their natural-born children. There was no difference. But then this break happens in the preteen years, 
And because they can't see the inner, it's because they can't see the inner life of this child who all of a sudden has started to remember the abuse and the neglect and the abandonment that they had received in their previous life. All of a sudden, these memories start flooding in years after being adopted. They start to remember how they had trusted others and been betrayed, how they had failed or disappointed others and been discarded. They start to remember how they feel that they are not really members of the family with the same worth and value of natural-born siblings. And one of the solutions that the therapist proposed, one of the ways to overcome this hurdle, was for families to start a ritual of retelling the story of their adoption, of going back over the struggle that it was for them to secure finances because adoption's not cheap of going over the family story of their choosing of the child. What made that child special to them? How difficult it was to navigate the court system, but so worth it. What it was to prepare their home for them, to choose their furnishings, to learn their personalities, what made, what made them them, and to fully integrate that into the family, to tell the whole story of the adoption. And as I listen to this therapist's recommendations, I realize that that's what the church does. Every year from Christmas through Easter, what we're doing here is we are recounting the grand story of our adoption, a reminder of who we are, of our status in Him. Because there are times we may not feel it and don't act like it. Which brings us to our third and final point, the experience of our adoption through the Holy Spirit. I want to do one last look at our text for this morning. Paul writes, and because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. So what does this mean for us to carry the spirit of adoption? What does it mean for us to live and experience ourselves as members of God's family? Well, we just finished our season of Advent, right, preaching on Christ's return, and it's no secret that He hasn't come back quite yet. So we're not able to experience the fullness of His presence just yet, but that doesn't mean we have nothing. Jesus Himself said, right, it is better that I leave, that the Holy Spirit come to you. We have access to God through this Holy Spirit, and it is through the Holy Spirit that our hearts are connected to God. It's through our Holy Spirit that we receive His admonition, that we also receive His comfort, that we receive His prompting and direction, and it is through the Holy Spirit that our prayers go back to God. God is with us, as we say. It is through the grace of the Holy Spirit that we live into these great responsibilities that we have that we could not do on our own. It is through the Holy Spirit that we take up the trade of our Heavenly Father that we bring justice and healing, reconciliation, and redemption to the world, that we fulfill these great tasks that are far beyond anything that we could do without Him. And it's through the grace of this Holy Spirit that we carry on our family legacy of love and forgiveness, that we act as Christ's ambassadors and invite others into the household of faith. And we experience God as we work alongside Him as His fellow workers. You know, and we can experience these moments when all things are ordered according to His will and His way, when warmth and generosity are the order of the day, when we receive these great gifts of God Himself 
and we offer ourselves, our gifts and offerings to Him gladly in return. You know, moments like, you know, Christmas morning when everyone is exchanging gifts, when, you know, we're sneaking things into each other's stockings just to show our love and appreciation and affection for one another and to receive that from others as well. You know, that idyllic picture of Christmas morning is what we're doing here on a Sunday. We're gathered together as a family under His roof to give and receive of Him who loves us as His own, to experience what it is and to live into what it is to be a part of the family of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is by Your great love for us that You sent Your Son, that we may be adopted as Your children, that we may have a restored relationship with You, that we may experience the full rights of what it is to be your sons and daughters, that we may live into the life that you have called us to live by the grace and power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of this story throughout this year, that we would continue to live into the story of our adoption, and that we walk forth proudly as sons and daughters of our great King. So your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.